0: Well, I hope you have your reading glasses and your reading lamps ready to go because we have a special edition of the Speaking for Him podcast all set for you. I'm Adam McNutt alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gommerson. Hello, Adam. It's great to be with you. And at long last, and the reason I say that is because it has been a long time <laughs> since we last had a, a book club episode, at long last, we are here to review for you Things We Couldn't Say by Deet Aman. And I have my special book club co-host with us today. Once again, Naomi Van Harn. Welcome back to the studio.
1: Thanks again for having me.
0: All right. Well, I'm very excited to dig into this discussion. But Adam, why don't you start us off with our quote of the day? This actually comes from the book we'll be reviewing today, Things We Couldn't Say by Diet Amman. This is her thinking while being interrogated by the Germans. You big, th- you big shots think you can decide on my life, but I have news for you. You can't touch a hair on my head without the will of God, my father, because he is
1: on my side.
0: All right. Well, that pretty much sums up the book. We can leave now. No, (laughs) no. uh, No, but that really was um, one of the overall thrusts of the book is whatever she went through, um, she she did firmly believe that and she never wavered. From that thought process, there were times when she was upset at what was going on around her, but I never felt that there was a time where she was beginning to give up on God. Mm-hmm. I really felt like she might have been saddened by what God was doing. Uh, she definitely didn't anticipate or welcome some of the stuff that happened to her individually. But I really felt like she God was able to sustain her and keep her strong. Um, Throughout the whole way in a way that I don't think I would have been However, as I have said before on this podcast God doesn't give us the grace for someone else's trial He gives us the grace for the trial that we are in and so That being said um, There's a lot to cover with this book So Naomi, why don't you start us off by letting us know what your initial thoughts were of this book First of all, maybe What you thought before you opened the book and maybe how that kind of changed as you began to read
1: Well, I will admit I cheated and read this when I was 17 or 18. So I kind of knew what I was getting into, (laughs) but I had forgotten um, so much of it. So it was great to reread it as an adult because you do have a different perspective now that I'm older. And and, um, like the relationship with her fiancé, able to understand that a little bit better. And also um, I, I would say my initial thought is read it it's a great great story for me it was
0: interesting because i hadn't read the book before but i had seen the play twice so i knew the basic storyline but the depth to which she goes in a lot of her writings like not just writing the book but just the mm-hmm. journal entries that, mm-hmm. that she poet that she put in the book for that time period just kind of blew me away with their depth and just the way she talked to God um, like we should all talk to God we, mm-hmm. we should all have this idea in our heads and in our minds that God is our friend and that he can, we can talk to him at any time. and so I, I think the biggest thing that I kept going back to is this is very real for her and that's the kind of relationship with God that I strive toward is to have that kind of realism and I will tell you right up front that part of the reason that this this podcast took so long uh, to record is because I could never read more than, than, you know, five or six pages, maybe ten pages at a time, and I just had to close it and think about what was being said and, and what she was going through. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like... Um, my typical page-turner inspirational fiction that I like to camp out on a lot. That's one of the reasons why I challenge myself with this book club because I do know that I get into a singular focus a lot of times with my reading. And so by categorizing my reading and by forcing myself through this book club to to read different types of books, I'm forced to read books like this because it's good to do Mm-hmm. but it's not something that's necessarily pleasant. So I, I can't guarantee you a pleasant read when you read this, but I can guarantee you a life-challenging read. Yeah. And so that's just my initial thoughts. Um, was there anything in particular, Naomi, that you found humorous?
1: Yes. And I just have to say that, well, Andrew found it difficult to read. This is like one of my favorite, I love history this is my favorite time period. So Andrew kept saying, so how far are you? And I'm like, I haven't started it yet. And he'd be like, so I'm halfway. How far are you? And I'm like, I haven't started yet. Because I knew once I started, I wouldn't put it down. Yeah. And,
0: and she actually, in full disclosure,
1: she actually read it twice. Yeah. In the time that, in the time that it took me to read
0: once. Yeah. yeah. She read it twice. Yeah. Because I, so. I texted her and I was like, I'm not quite done yet. And she's like, well, don't worry. I'm speed reading through it a second time. Yeah. And so it'll be fine. <laughs> That's awesome. so. Yeah.
1: And I was oftentimes reading it to my mom, reading it to my sister. But yeah, the part I thought was funny and um, I thought this is funny because I can relate to it. So um, part of the reason I like to do this book club and part of the reason I'm in another book club is because I like to talk about books. And my husband will sometimes be like, Ugh. you know, I'll just read <laughs> the book, you know. And he loves me, but sometimes he doesn't want to hear it every detail. So anyway, there's a part in the book where they're hiding these Jews in this house and they can't leave the house. And um, it's a husband and wife. And so everybody helps out as much as they can. So the wife, the Jewish wife, she spins and knits. And there's a part where um, Dietz comes to visit them, check on them, bring them stuff. And it says, one day while Uncle Ben was working hard at all those documents and Marie was knitting and peeling, I bought him more brought him more things to do, and I found him very desperate. She and the poor man, poor frantic man, pointed at his wife. This woman, she has the lapangan, a piece of cloth, the knitting, and he pointed at her tongue, making flapping motions with his hand. And all day long, she yaps and yaps and yaps. I'm going absolutely crazy here, and I laughed out loud when I read <laughs> that part, because I was like, Ah! I have heard this before because I'll sit there knitting well, well, and my the, husband will be like, okay. The there's the knitting and the talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I read it to my mom and she's like, that's what we do, you know. So it was just funny because, um, I mean, I felt sorry that they had to be in that situation. But it was just funny because we're, we're all the same yep. all over. We are. You
0: know? We are. So, I, one of the most interesting things that I thought and kind of humorous was the way that she played dumb to Mm -hmm. her captors because she, she knew Dutch and she knew German. Uh, But whenever they would speak to her in German, she would act like she couldn't speak in, uh, in German that they had to talk to her in Dutch. But all the while when they were talking, they would disclose things because they didn't think that she could understand, oh. and then she'd be able to pass them down the line to other people to get intel on the Germans. So, so I I just I thought that was kind of funny, and then of course, um, there were some pretty funny things, even like the day that she was captured in the train station mm-hmm. uh, when she was dealing with one of the officers that was actually dealing directly with her. And just some of the stuff that had to do with that. And it's kind of weird because, in a way, you're like, should I, should this make me smile? Should I, should I be laughing right now? Yeah, you know, at least internally. But, but it's good to have some levity to break Mm -hmm. up the, the monotony of the book. And as I said, this was just a really hard book for me to read, but things like that made it more fun. Mm -hmm. Like when she
1: pushes the button. Which. When she when she takes his hand and pushes the button oh. to put her in prison, <laughs> so oh, oh. he's like, "If you tell me that you're, you know, in the resistance, then I won't push this button. We can we can work with you." And she took his hand, and, <laughs> and that that made me laugh. Yeah, so like, there,
0: there's a bunch of little things like that, yeah. and so I think that you will enjoy that aspect of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so. We already kind of touched on this next one. Um, I already said that one of the biggest lessons in this book is that uh no matter what you're going through, God can sustain you and She certainly went through a, an awful lot, and yet God stayed faithful to her and uh, you'll you'll read a lot. I know there were people that died in that died as part of the resistance, people who were imprisoned for the resistance like her fiancé, for instance, spoiler alert. Uh, but but of the Jews that they hid, this is an interesting fact, of the Jews that they hid from the Nazis, not a, every single one of them survived the war. Mm-hmm. And so for them, that was an excellent thing to be able to testify to later. And there's... Countless generations of people that are alive today because of what they did and so when you think about ultimate self-sacrificing love, which is what God has for us and what we are to have for others, this was this was the ultimate personification of it. so I, I guess um, the two big lessons was God where God can, can sustain you and greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Did you have any more thoughts on lessons in this book?
1: No, I think that you covered it pretty well. I I agree that um, one, I was reading on Goodreads, and one comment that someone said was that they liked how she never made you feel like the trial you're going through is not as bad as hers. Like when she's writing and she'll say, I'm sure we all get to this point. Or there's parts in the book where she's like, I'm sure we've all been here, or, you know, she's not saying, well, I went through this horrible, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like she was saying, no matter what trial you're going through, God is with you, and even if it's not that you're in a concentration camp, it's it's still a trial.
0: All right. Do you have a favorite story w- within the book?
1: Uh, it was pretty much the one with the knitting, probably. Okay, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um... I think uh, my favorite story in the book might be when she finally gets back to her parents. And she I think she sees her mom first, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then her father comes home and she comes out and her father like runs away from her. And at first she's like, well, why would he run away from me? We've been away from each other for a year. Why would he do that? And then she went back into his room and she she just saw him sobbing. She said, I've never seen my father cry. Mm-hmm. But that day I did because he just he just realized the magnitude of what had happened. Mm-hmm. That that I had gone through this ordeal, that I had been arrested and been basically under torture and, and horrible things because of my work here in the resistance. And, and she was also constantly worried for her parents. I mean she and, High and her boyfriend had, had buried um, firearms and ammo in her parents' yard, and she was like, "If it's ever found, they're going to uh, they're going to make my make my parents pay for it." But they never found it, mm-hmm. and then there were just so many other ways that God intervened and and helped them to get through their ordeal. Uh, despite the fact that he didn't help everyone um, get through the ordeal in the same way like some of them passed away they still knew that God was good mm-hmm. and um, so uh what person do you most relate to in the book well for me um for me i w- I was trying to to think about this a little bit, and I definitely uh, relate to deep in my zeal for wanting to do the right thing i don 't know if I could go as far as she could without a special dispensation of grace in the moment, but I definitely related to that um, i know i've I've definitely um Felt I. I definitely felt like I was in hind shoes before, wanting the best for those around me, um, even if it meant that I couldn't uh, be with them at a particular time, or at all in the long term. I know it's a different context, but th- those are some of the things that I that I have thought of as I read this book, and there's just a, a a really neat cast of characters. In this book, I mean, if it was a novel, you would be sitting there saying, you know, uh, thinking about how great this author is that he came up with these characters. And I guess that just shows that God is a great author. He he is a great character maker. And so he put these characters together for the time that they were in. And it's kind of interesting too the way that she kind of just stumbled into this uh, work. Because they had one friend that wanted to be hit and they found a place to hide him. And then, then more people came to them and it just kind of exploded um, from there. Mm-hmm. So, Naomi, were there any particular people, deep or otherwise, that stuck out?
1: I could see myself as like the farmer's wife where you're kind of not putting yourself quite out there, but you still want to help um, the I don't know how to say Alton Ali, yeah. the farm that they that she stayed at a lot. Mm-hmm. I could see myself doing that, but I I agree. I admire all she did, and um, I think that that's one thing. Like you pointed out, she was just a normal she was a city girl in Holland. Planned on getting married. She worked at a bank, and I mean by the end she's reading maps and writing in code and planning resistance work and traveling all over. And um, so I just think if you're a young person and you think like, oh, I could never do that with God, I mean, you can do amazing things.
0: All right. How did this book uh, or did this book in any way change your view on suffering, Naomi?
1: Um, Yes, I don't think I could go through it. (laughs) (laughs) i i um i think the part where she's in the bed and she can't get up that'd be me on day one (laughs) i would need a lot of help
0: (laughs) yeah there was actually a point where psychological difficulties were causing her uh, physical symptoms to the point Mm -hmm. where she was paralyzed and, and basically stuck to her bed while she was in the prison camp. And, and like Naomi said, when you think about all that that means, you sit there and you say, well, how could you not yeah. be in that situation? Yeah. Um, another book that I read along the same vein um, was Unbroken, the story of Louisa mm-hmm. Barini, who was a World War II pilot. And I just remember watching that movie and then reading the book, and the book goes into more in-depth than the movie, of course. And in, in that particular instance, all he wanted to do when he got back from the war was train harder so that he could go back and kill the Japanese people that mm-hmm. had imprisoned him until he came to know Jesus Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. And then he said, I want to go back and evangelize those those people. And so, so it was a totally... Um. totally uh, attitude shift. And I, I think it's kind of interesting, too. I think you read in Things We Couldn't Say about how, how Dee starts out at a place of hate, at least for her captors, mm-hmm. and then gets to a place gradually of forgiveness because she realizes that it's hurting her, chiefest of all, to continue to be bitter. Mm-hmm. And um, the one interesting thing that I want to talk a little bit about is some of the ethical dilemmas presented um, because I've always been taught, like, for instance, uh, for a background, she lies about who she is. She has a false identity. It's actually her false alias that, under which she gets arrested. And um, so they never actually found her as Deet mm-hmm. Um They arrested her as, I believe, Willie Loman or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And so that was her persona, and she memorized false facts about herself um, to the extent that she got so good at knowing the facts that she could relate them as if they were truth. And um, one prison guard even said at one point, I know you're lying, but I can't prove it because so, your story fits. And um, But I, I had this thought, which I've had other times, like, with Rahab in the Bible when she hid the spies in Joshua. Because I've always heard that it was Rahab's faith that caused her to be saved, not the fact that she lied on their behalf. So I've always wondered in myself whether um, I could lie uh, for a good reason. Because the Bible tells us not to lie. However, I've never been in Dedman's shoes, so I can't make a dogmatic statement and say she shouldn't have lied. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember—I think I remember—that in the hiding place, Corey Tenmoon and said that their primary goal was to be silent, mm. so that they wouldn't have to lie. They would kind of be lying by omission, but they wouldn't—they wouldn't say anything that would be a lie. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Particular ethical dilemma
1: Yeah, I know that um, Because she pretty much determines when she first goes to prison that she won't and then she talks to that lady And she says you better make a Make a story and make it a good one and it's at that moment that she decides okay from now on I'm I'm this other person and I think it would be difficult and I think what maybe motivated her was if it was just her life she may have just gone with, I just won't say anything. But I think because other people were involved and she felt responsible for those people, that mm-hmm. must have been the part where she just, you know, I, I I can't, in good conscience, like it was kind of choosing one or the other.
0: You know? mm-hmm. I, and I, I think you make a good point there because it's kind of like um, some pacifists, particularly Amish, will say, turn the other cheek to the point that I've heard that they sometimes won't even defend their own families Mm -hmm. if someone were to attack them. Um, But I like to think of it as maybe individually I would, but in a corporate setting, like if I'm at work working with students and someone threatens them, I would do everything I could to try to stand between them and the threat if I had a family and someone comes and starts to attack them, I would try to stand between them and the threat. I might take more on an individual level as mm-hmm. far as turning the other cheek than I would if it if it affects more people. And so I definitely can resonate with that line of thinking. But it it's just I mean and again I can't judge her because of I've never been in anything remotely resembling that situation. But it's definitely something that I that I thought of again as we dug into this book mm-hmm. um, what was the most surprising thing about this book uh, Naomi mm.
1: um, oh it's, it's actually a very little thing but I just never heard about this so um, she along with other people if a downed pilot uh, came to them they would help them get back to England so they could come back and fight again and I had heard of people helping downed pilots, but I didn't realize like they were actually helping them get back to England. And so she tells the story about how these one guys get back to England and send over the radio um, regards to Pete and Repeat, which one of those was in reference to her fiancé. So I just thought that was surprising. I didn't know um, that they were able to get people actually back.
0: I also didn't know that... She crossed paths with Corey Ten Yeah. They actually shared a cell at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 20 people to a cell that would normally, I think in, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it sounded like what, sh- what in our society would be a two- or three-person cell was 20 people. Like, you were basically elbow to elbow. Oh. Um, So it was just, and it was interesting how, she would sniff out spies too. She could, yeah. She could tell if they were spies because of the because of the way they acted. Mm. Like if they didn't act scared or they they seemed well nourished, you know, or even that they'd been out in the sun where they weren't getting sun because they were just locked away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She kind of sniffed out who were spies. People would who would go in and pose as prisoners to try to get them to spill all the information that the Nazis wanted to know. But the most surprising thing to me was reading in the afterward that she actually was married mm-hmm. and had a couple children. Mm-hmm. Because even after watching the play and watching a little video of her after the play, I thought she never married. Um, I thought that she stayed single all her life because she just loved Heinz so much that She couldn't imagine marrying someone. Now, she doesn't give a lot of detail about her marriage. She says that she got married, um, I believe, in 59. And she had a couple children and that it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. And then she moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is around this local area, in 1969. And she's lived here ever since. And as of this recording, she's still alive Mm -hmm. and pretty spry because she still comes out to events at Master Arts Theater. Um, she was at the last show that we did, uh, Little House, for one performance. So she still gets out and about a little bit, and she's good friends with Chris McDonald, who is the artistic director there, and so there's a connection there. Um, it's kind of interesting because she wrote the book and started doing talks on this um, because she felt that it was a story that needed to be told even though she didn't want to tell it. And part of me wants to ask her to tell it again. Mm-hmm. from her own words on this show, but part of me is reticent to ask her because because I know she doesn't like to relive it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, she did because it was something that we need to hear and need to discuss. Mm-hmm. So um, so for why should you read this book? I think you should read this book because it's a, it's a forgotten part of history, not just forgotten. It's one that a lot of people uh, on the liberal-leaning side would like you to believe never happened. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are Holocaust deniers. They don't think anything this atrocious happened. And I've long heard the quote that those who, uh, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And, um, you know, people didn't fear Hitler the way they should have. And I'm not saying that you should overly fear or revere any world leader. Let's get that straight straight right now. No world leader can destroy or build up something to such an extent that they could be considered a savior. But, I think there were a lot of people in Germany who were not prepared for what Hitler actually did. And so I think we need to go into the future with our eyes wide open. Our eyes... Uh, focused up on God, but also wide open to the possibilities of what may occur if we sleep uh, on what is going on, on around us. That's why I bring in so much of current culture. That's why we do current event update podcasts because we need to be aware of these things. And so I, that's why I think that people should read this book. Um, so, uh, Naomi, do you have any thoughts about that and and specific more specifically maybe could you tell me maybe you, how one should approach reading this book like what would be a good age group mm-hmm. for the youngest people to read this book? Do you think
1: um I think like I mean obviously everybody knows their kids, and I think at like sixteen seventeen they could read it and now, i think it I think it should be. Um, at some point in high school required reading
0: yeah it's again like naomi says it's not hard and fast obviously because everybody knows their kids Mm -hmm. and i know my dad he never read anything this intense but he used to read to us around the dinner table and i think if you're going to read it to your family they could be a little younger but there is some really unsettling things on here Mm -hmm. like i said i could only read a few pages at a time for that reason um but uh, I would definitely encourage reading of it because uh, we need to learn its lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, uh, it's been a great year in the speaking for him book club. Uh, I believe we said this was the 2015, 2016 book club. And here we, here we land in 2017. (laughs) So I think what we're going to do for this next year is we're just going to call it the 2017 book club and hopefully be done by December 31st of 2017 with whatever selections we choose over the next, I'm thinking we'll probably record in about a month, maybe a month and a half once we've finalized titles. We've, been, we've had some discussion, I know I will be talking with Naomi a little bit more as these next few weeks go on to finalize a list and we will let you know. But we should be back with you in about a month or a little bit more to let you know what we're going to be reading in the future. And we would like more interaction on the speaking for him book club page. And we'll try to, to make it more interaction friendly. If we come up with some good ideas for how to utilize that page more effectively. And as always, you can contact us with your input on this as well as anything else having to do with the podcast. All right. Well, thank you, Naomi, for coming in today. And, uh, it's been another great year of reading and I look forward to next year. All right. I think that's all we have for today. Um, But without further ado, I will just say to you, have a great weekend and keep serving. The best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gamson, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four,